morning. Give them another hand. Praise God. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate you guys coming on out here. What a blessing it's been. I thought Jordan was going to preach at first. I was going to hand it over. These guys were going to sing and dance, and we can call it a Sunday. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Man. Overzealous people up here. Praise God. You guys are good. So good. A big thank you to the Hawaii Baptist Academy and the work God is doing in your school and in each and every one of your lives and a welcome back to our campers and counselors. This is a special Sunday. Let's see who was paying attention last week, last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday, lucky you, get a break. What is today 50 days after Easter? Oh, very good. Pentecost. Today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter. And if you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, Remain in Jerusalem until you will be clothed with power from on high, not many days from now. And then Acts chapter 2 comes, and all of a sudden they're all gathered together, these Christians, these followers of Christ, in one place. And a sound starts coming, like a mighty rushing wind, and all of a sudden the Spirit comes in power, energizing the church to fulfill the mission, as Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So... As I prayed and considered what to preach several months ago out on this Sunday, Matthew 28, 18 to 20 seemed fitting. What's come to be known as the Great Commission. Before we get there, you, sometimes you ask yourself, what causes people to do things? What, what possesses somebody to do a certain action or abstain from a certain action? Sometimes this is comical. Sometimes it's very heavy and weighty. What causes somebody to maybe eat three hot dogs or four hot dogs at a camp and then play basketball right after and regret every minute of it? What causes somebody, myself, to eat 100 cheese balls because 48 cheese balls is one serving? So, what's two servings? What causes maybe a young person who has almost that feedback? Um, am I doing something? Is that me? What causes somebody who has a five, six, seven, eight hundred dollar computer that they can access? almost limitless knowledge and resources and games to put that down and pick up a little wooden ball and cup and spend hours perfecting and mastering. What causes 
a man and a woman to leave everything they know, their comforts of kendamas and iPhones and Western pleasures, to go to another country and give their lives and die a lonely death on the mission field. That's exactly how it happened about 200 years ago, a beautiful love story. A 23-year-old young man and a 22-year-old young woman. One's name, Adoniram. The other's, Anne. Their names even go together perfectly. Adoniram and Anne, together forever. He meets her, this girl, and he falls in love. Aww so pretty. I want to, I think I, I want to marry this woman. Oh. After a month, he writes her dad a letter to court her. Her dad says, and the letter in effect says, I'm going to take your daughter if you will allow it, and I'm going to leave and you will never see her again, and she will die on a foreign land, probably a, possibly a violent death but when you see her again in glory, she will be arrayed in splendor and praises will echo forth from her to the glory of God the Father forever and ever and ever. But you will never see her again. Fathers, what would you say? He said she can make up her own mind. And this girl, Anne, did just that. She decided to marry this young man, and together they left, and it was a beautiful voyage so far. Their lives are starting, and they're going to serve God in a foreign land. How exciting. They are fulfilling the words of Christ to go to the ends of the world. The charm would stop almost immediately. Anne would bury two of her children after giving birth. And then she herself would later die on the mission field, having never seen her family again. You would think God's mercy and grace would fall on Adoniram, her husband, and he would give her him some reprieve. And in some ways he did, and he married again. Another godly woman, and again, more children died. And that wife, too, also died. And then finally, another wife, she, too, died. In the end, a total, thir seven of his 13 children died on the mission field, and he buried them alone in the jungle of Myanmar. And then he, too, later would get sick at the age of 82, and he would die alone on a boat with nobody around him but some sailors. Some of his last words penned, how few there are who, who die so hard. So the dreams of a young man who hated his life such that his life in the age to come, he could say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And now, the fruit of that 
endeavor of his labors echoes forth to more than a million believers in Myanmar. And churches growing and spreading the gospel daily, but he lived to see little of that. And I ask you again, what would possess a man or a woman to leave it all? To sell out completely young people, older people, any age to leave everything and go forth. And we will see the answer in Matthew 28 in this great commission. You can't hardly read this chapter without getting the, the sense that Matthew wants his readers to get something. Everywhere the resurrected Jesus goes and is seen, he is worshipped. The women coming to see his tomb, they see him and he reveals himself and they fall at his feet and worship him. 33 years on earth and hardly anybody noticed this man walking around half the time unless he was doing a miracle. And now... All of a sudden, resurrected in power, they're worshiping him. Again, the disciples will pick up and we'll see them worshiping him. And he will usher to them this great commission. And I ask, what makes this commission great? Why do you call it the great commission? Have you guys ever thought about that? Why do we call it the great commission? I don't really know the definitive answer as to who termed that. Perhaps it's great in scope and geographic range to the ends of the earth. It's great in landmass, the amazing race, lots of land to be covered. Therefore, it's great. Maybe it's great in task, make disciples. But I don't think it's great for any of those. It's great because of the man giving it, Jesus. Many times when this passage is preached, it's all about you. What can you do? What is God going to call and move in your heart for you to do for Jesus? What are you going to leave? And that is actually good, and there is a place for that. But unintentionally, when we do that, we cut the commission from its power. The Great Commission, brothers and sisters, is not primarily about what you or I can do. The Great Commission is great because it's primarily about Jesus. And so we're going to read, and we're going to see this Great Commission. And as we, as we read and study, keep in mind, this is a day in history that the Spirit poured out in power upon the church. And I will pray that he will do the same here again, as he wills. Matthew 28 We'll start in verse 16 to get a little bit of the running context, and then we'll go from there. The words are on the screen behind me. Hear the word of God. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you and I beg you that you would move. I beg that you would move in power through your spirit, working through your word. Lord Jesus, that everybody in this room, that you would make us worshipers of Jesus. Lord, you alone can satisfy our souls in sickness and in health and prosperity and in poverty in life and in death as we mourn and rejoice. Lord, you satisfy alone. Would you please magnify Jesus this morning? Would you grant repentance and smash hardened hearts this morning for your glory? I pray that you would draw many people to yourself, we pray, and that, that you would just pour out your spirit, that it would be true today as it was then, that all whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, please do this for your name, I pray. Amen. Like any good sermon, we'll have three points and maybe, maybe a poem. We'll see. We're going to see the power of Christ the presence of Christ, and the perseverance of his people. If you want a title to the end of the age, the power of Christ and the work of his people. To the end of the age, the power of Christ and the work of his people. The power of Christ, the presence of Christ, and the perseverance of his people. First, we see what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus now actually possesses what was falsely promised to him by Satan in Matthew chapter 4 in his wilderness temptations. If you remember that far back in Matthew, Jesus led by the Spirit of God. Here's a righteous man, the Son of God, led to be tried and tested by Satan alone in the wilderness. I hope you start to see implications about that alone for God's plan and purpose in your life and hardship and trials. But Jesus is led out into the wilderness. And allow me to quote, you could call him a, an artist. His name is Marcus Gray. He put it in more of a poetic form. And he summarizes it well, this picture in Matthew 4. The devil took him very high, to the highest mountain peak. And he said, if you would fall down and worship me, all of the kingdoms and the world and the glory will instantly be yours. End of the story. Jesus' mission was to rule all the nations. This is exactly why it was a temptation. No more suffering. No more pain. Start the Christian cosmos. Let your kingdom reign. No Nero. No Adolf. No slavery. The cross, you can stay off. Bind the brokenhearted. Heal the sick. Establish truth and justice. But Jesus resisted and goes to the cross, trusting God's promises. He doesn't self-exalt. 
was crucified, and three days he rose again. The God-man wins. He never sinned. It's from a song called Caught in the Lights. Jesus resisted the false promises of Satan for power and rule and authority and glory. The easy way, if you would fall down and worship me, and his response, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall serve and worship the Lord your God only. And now here's Jesus in his resurrected state. This man, Jesus, what do you think about Jesus this morning? Is he a man? Is he a good teacher? I like him because he has good morals. Hear the witness of the Bible. This man, all authority is given me, and here he is accepting worship from women and disciples. They fell and they worshiped him. The same man that said, worship and serve God only. What does that say about Jesus? He is God. He is God. He is everything he said he is and would be. And he is worthy in every culture, in every language, in every nation to be worshipped and adored with all of your hearts and soul and mind and strength. He is worthy alone. And that is why we are here to worship and praise the risen Christ. He is, has all power, all authority. This vision strikes us of the vision in Daniel, the book of Daniel, hundreds of years before Christ came. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And Ephesians said he was placed as head over all things and serves and reigns over all things for the church. So here is God. How can I, in words, even begin to paint this picture of unlimited, unchallenged, superior, majestic, sovereign power? We would have to sing the hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. There's not enough words in the language of people. Nature, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes, whether it be off of Molokai or Japan, tsunamis, you name it. He rules and reigns over nature, and he can say in a word, peace, be still. Or you think government, Vladimir Putin, Barack Obama heads empires of nations. He is a drop in the bucket. Nush, nothing to him. Others view power as muscle. How much can you bench press? Squats, pull-ups, sprint. God would say, come on. Are you, are you kidding me? 800 pounds, iron. <laughs> Seriously? 
He rules and reigns. None can match his might or stay his hand. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So whether it's nature, government, muscle, or the roaring, raging, blue fire breathing Godzilla, when compared to God, he is nothing but a small gecko on the wall of heaven. God has, Christ has all authority. And yet, this almighty, powerful king is not distant, sitting in an awful office that you will never see or encounter in your life. We see something else about this mighty Savior in verse 20. And what does he say? And behold, I am with you sometimes. I am with you always to the end of the age. Wherever Christ is named, he is there with his people. So whether you're in a desolate jungle in Myanmar bearing your wife and children and you feel alone, he is there. Or whether you're in HBA or Kentucky or you're left alone here or in a nursing home or in the hospital, if you name the name of Christ, he says, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And in this, too, he is fulfilling what was mentioned at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. If you could take the book of Matthew or the Old Testament, Old Testament promise made, New Testament promise fulfilled. And Matthew starts his book in chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus' words to his people, I am with you always. Paul, the first, you could say, missionary of the church, the Apostle Paul, would anchor onto these words, and later he would write young Timothy, his apprentice, and he would say, all, as he's in prison, all have deserted me. Nobody stood by me, but the Lord was with me and strengthened me. Paul anchored his hope on these words and promise of Jesus, I am with you, I am with you. So here, mighty king, not distant, imminent, intimate, present, always with you. My time as a police officer for the Maui Police Department. You would always go to these crazy calls, and, and especially on Friday, Saturday nights, you could just guarantee it's on, something's crazy is going to go down, and, and it's on. Your heart beats as you run into a fight of more than 100 people with six guys. You don't know what's going to happen. Whatever may, let the chips fall. We have a job to do. Let's go. Does it mean that because I have this bulletproof vest and this gun and these cool toys that you're not scared? No. So what in the world would make somebody who is scared run in to a crowd? 
The fact that I know I am not alone. I've got my partners and more on the way, and they are intimately in it together with me, and they would give their lives for me and I for them in the blink of an eye. And yet that is what encourages and emboldens us. I am not going in this alone. I've got brothers who will get my back at all times. And likewise, Jesus says, you will never be alone. I am with you always. All, all infinite power and might here with you to do the work I have asked you to do. It's the power of Christ, the presence of Christ, and the perseverance of his people. The perseverance of his people. There's a, the great commission is great. Why? Because Jesus is great, and it's also great because its scope is great. To the ends of the earth. Go, therefore, the fact that I'm all-powerful and I'm always with you, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So on the basis of all this, go make disciples. What is a disciple? Luke 14 sums it up pretty good. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So the call to discipleship is a call to come and die to your pleasures, your comforts, your own way of life, and to find ultimate pleasure, ultimate joy, ultimate comfort in Christ alone. And it doesn't matter if you are 18 or 82. It is never too late to repent and follow Jesus, the almighty, all-powerful Jesus. Another way of saying a disciple. I got this from Pastor Jay Armstrong, Kihei Baptist. A fully devoted follower of Christ. A fully devoted follower of Christ. So let me ask your life. Are you following Christ and are you fully devoted? Or in one word, do you worship Jesus alone? This is our mandate, brothers and sisters, to take up the word of the gospel into the nations and make disciples. Whatever this may teach us about systematic theology, about baptisms and the Trinity and all these things, we must not lose sight that it is coming from the risen, powerful, intimate Lord of the universe who commands us to go forth in power for the sake of his name, to make disciples. And he, all the while exercising that authority, for the church. So if you're here and you're a visitor, first I welcome you. Thank you for coming. Secondly, you're not here by accident. You are here by the authority and sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. And he means for you to hear the message of his word and believe and obey. So what then? What then do we have by way of application for us today? We, yes, we see his power, we see his presence, and the need for the perseverance of the saints to take this gospel to the ends of the world. What then by way of application? 
One of the things we'd like to note is the assurance of authority and presence of Jesus when he says, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the earth. One of the immediate things that strikes me is how similar that is to another commission given in the Bible. There's a man named Moses. And God called Moses to go to the most powerful head in his area and say, let my people go in the name of Yahweh. And Moses says, wait a minute. Who am I going to say sent me? Tell him, I am has sent you. But, but why would he listen to you? He's not going to listen to you. And God begins to say, I will make my power and name known in Egypt. And I will do many mighty signs and wonders, and my name will be declared great. And he, what does he say to Moses? I am with you. And we find ourselves in a similar circumstance. But wait a minute. Yes, Jesus, you're all powerful and you're with me. But, but I can't tell my family member the gospel or my, my friend the gospel. What if they don't believe? What if they, they ask a question I, I don't know how to answer? What They're in this lifestyle of sin and they've been in there for so long. There's, there's no way they'll ever repent. And the question for us is the same Moses had to face. It's not whether your friend will ultimately believe the gospel. That's not your priority or concern. The question, brothers and sisters, is whether you believe the gospel, whether you believe that Jesus is great, that he has all authority and power, whether you believe that the gospel is the power of God to save. Do you believe it? And do you love them now enough to go and tell them and to ask the hard questions for them? Do you believe it, brothers and sisters? All authority is given to Jesus, and he is with you. So go and make disciples. Jesus here doesn't leave us with a program to make disciples. He leaves us with his very power and presence to the end of the age so that whether you are in Kahakuloa doing ministry or Kona or your, your life where God directs you to Siberia or to the vast mountains of China where two, a billion people almost live and have never heard of Christ, he is with you to make disciples in power and he is doing a mighty work, and his name will be praised. Do you believe it? So I ask, brothers and sisters, fellow believers, where is the Lord working in your heart? Where is the Lord working in your heart? What is clouding your vision of Jesus risen and reigning? What area is he moving in his spirit for you to repent of, to forsake, so that you may walk in obedience to his commands. Some of you, I pray, will come and go, and we will launch you off with great joy, and you will go to Tonga or Samoa or further, 
for the name of the gospel. Others, Christ intends to magnify his name right where you are, but it's going to require a radical transformation of your current life. Jesus exercises all authority, and whether you go or stay, there is work to be done, and his name is with you. And one last question, and I'll be done. I'll pray, and then I, I believe we're going to have a special by Deborah. My last question is for those here who are visitors. I've addressed many of you, believers, and now I want to address my visitor here, or even somebody here who grew up in church. I have a question for you. Who are you worshiping this morning? Do you see Jesus as worthy of your worship and praise? If the answer is no, if the answer is no, then I tell you, you are not a Christian. Even if your parents were Christians, if you grew up in church, if, the, if you do not see Jesus as worthy and of your praise, then you are not a Christian. And God's wrath is on you this minute. His anger burns hotly against your rebellion of his mighty reign. And, and, in a second, your life could be gone. You could pull out and somebody texting on their phone could T-bone your car going 50 miles an hour. It's happened and your life could be over. Don't presume upon God's kindness. If you are breathing right now, it's because God is being gracious with you and he intends for you to turn from your manner of life and follow and worship Jesus. I heard this week of an intoxicated driver actually crashed through the living room window wall of somebody while they were sitting at home in their bed, in their living room, watching TV. Had the car gone a little bit further or happened 30 minutes earlier, that man and his family could have been gone. I pray, visitor, friend, if you are not worshiping Jesus, that you do not delay one second longer. There's great news in this passage. Great news in this passage. We kind of didn't even touch on it long. Verse 17, And when the disciples, remember the disciples who had forsaken him in his hour of need, disciples, when the disciples saw him, they worshipped him. And what does it say? But some doubted. And the very next phrase is small, and you, you almost miss it. And Jesus came and said to them. I don't see it, Randy. I'll, I'll, I'll draw it out for you. Jesus, in his all-sufficient, majestic, reigning authority, moves near to sinners who doubt him when they worship him when they come and fall on their face before him and forsake every thought of doubt and worship him, Jesus draws near to them and he saves him. And rather 
than exercising that power in punishment. He exercises that power in grace and mercy. So whatever's going on in your head right now that says, I can't follow this, Jesus. It'll ruin my life. I've got happiness over here. Don't believe it. It's a lie. And when you come to Jesus and you cling to Jesus, you will get life, not death. So brother, please, sister, please repent and believe in Jesus this morning. And the poem. And the poem. Oh, how great the sting of sin, written with an iron pen upon the tablet of the heart, who can bid sin thence depart? Jesus, Jesus, he can change the heart. He can bid sin to depart, for he was pierced with an iron pen and took away the sting of sin. Come to me is his mighty call. Issued to all the great and small, I can save you from your plight. My yoke is easy and my burden light come this morning after I pray. I'm going to be over here in this room. If you just need prayer, I would love to pray. If you have questions, I would love to talk to you some more. I'll be over here as Deborah sings. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may you make a name for yourself here. May you save any here who are in disbelief, Lord, may you grant their hearts belief. May you grant them joy in Jesus and that they would see that you came, that we might have life and have it abundantly. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would energize and empower your people to declare your name among the nations that Christ may be all in all. I ask this for your glory. Amen.